Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello, this is Kurt Sumner. I'm your host today for the Surveyor Says podcast series by NSPS. Thank you for joining us again. We are approaching 50 podcasts. I don't know if this particular one will be number 50. Uh, Tim Birch and I both do the podcast, uh, so I'm not ever sure exactly where he is in his group or, or I am, but nonetheless, we're approaching 50, and we're pretty proud of that. We're really excited about the way the the system is going and get a lot of people who enjoy listening to the podcast. And it's a good thing because they're available on our website. You can go back and listen to one anytime. So for our listeners, thank you for listening. And we hope that you will continue to enjoy what we're doing. One of the things that's been really important to us, and if you've listened to the podcast series, you're aware that we, we've done this a little bit so far, and we're going to do it again today. And that is to engage young surveyors into the dialogue and more importantly engage young surveyors into NSPS leadership and and when I say young surveyors a lot of people listening to this broadcast will know that in my era I started surveying in 1966 and didn't come to NSPS till about 90 I guess or something like that maybe in the 80s um Young was 40 years old or maybe 45. Uh, and But now we're getting students going through, getting their college degrees, undergraduate, master's, coming into the profession at an earlier age at leadership levels. So the ones of us who are on the back end of that arrangement are really happy that we are getting that kind of interest from young surveyors to be a part of the national organization and help drive it as it relates to today's world. And and I don't mean to be derogatory at all um, among the ones of us who are in the older group, but all of the new world is just as new to us as it is to anybody else. It's just that we're older and maybe haven't, I won't say grasp it, of course we grasp it, but adopted it maybe is a better word as quickly. And the surveying profession needs that if we're going to continue to attract young people coming in. So today, my guest is Samuel Smith. He's a young surveyor who is now in a master's program at Texas A&M and uh, has been working some, but uh, he's he's going to get that master's now. And I don't know. I'll let Sam tell you what he's planning to do, if he's got that set in his mind already, if that's going to be into practice or going to education. In either case, it'll be a great asset to us. So, Samuel, thank you for joining us. And I guess I should ask if you prefer Samuel or Sam. Um, Samuel, okay. um, if I had a preference. Um, thank you, Kurt. Um, Samuel J. Smith, the third initiate. 
Um, as you can tell, I'm indigenous. I'm born and raised um, at Taos Pueblo. Uh, Tuata is how we say it. And um, what it's known to us as is the place of the Red Willow people. I um, went through high school. I didn't do very well. I got introduced to surveying very young, probably around 17. Surveyed for about six years um, under several different surveyors in northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, and um, central New Mexico. And then I, you know, realized that I had hit a ceiling. I wanted to, um, at that time, I, I, I wanted to um, reach into higher pay rates and, and, and become more of an asset to the company. So I pursued my education. Um, first off by getting my GED and then getting a, uh, two associates degrees from Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute. I transferred to NMSU and just graduated in May of this year, 2020, with my Bachelor's of Science in Geomatics, which is basically the surveying engineering program just kind of geared towards the future is, is what I believe they're trying to do. And um, I transferred to Texas A&M because I, I found a passion to um, to teach. I realized how few surveying engineering professors that we have. And uh, I saw the need in NMSU, uh, you know, being a, one of the um, staple institutions for New Mexico, um, being one of the only in, um, in like the five states surrounding us besides Texas that has a surveying engineering bachelor's program. Um, and even fewer in the nation, um, I felt like this was something I needed to do to help the field and to help our profession and to get more students sort of attracted to the notion of becoming a professional surveyor. And um, also, I, I just want to help younger students uh, realize their dream and, and you know give, give, give back what I've gotten from my professors here at NMSU, um, specifically Dr. Kurt Worm and Dr. Ahmed a lecture. So um, that's just kind of what I saw, Kurt, was um, there was a need, you know, and I, I felt like I have that opportunity to um, help students. I've helped students before and I've been a tutor. So I felt like that's where I could best serve the profession as well as working. You know, I do want to work a bit and do some field work, probably some research, um, see some new technology and uh, pursue my PhD in the long run. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the youth movement and the passion to teach because I think for the most part, the, the average practitioner or any of the ones among people in my, my age group and, and younger are, are very aware of the need to bring more people into surveying. I'm not so sure that we have stopped to think about how important it is that we also have a continuation in available instructors because just like the rest of us surveyors, they get old too, right? And so, oh, yeah. you know, we talk so much about, we got to get new people in the profession. We need this, we need that. But I really haven't heard that much conversation about, we really also need to foster the next group of instructors. So thanks for bringing that up. I, that, I'm, like I said, I'm just not sure we focused on that as much as we should. Yeah, and it's, it's something that 
get side looked. You know, we um we want them to be professionals. We want them to get a degree, and I wanted to get the degree so bad so that when I tried to transfer to NMSU and called the academic advising office, they told me the surveying department was long gone, that I couldn't register for it. And it was because NMSU was trying to distinguish or trying to diminish the program. Right. They were, it was on its way out. And um, I wasn't letting that happen. I, I um, scoured and searched for the number to their actual to the actual surveying department found it and talked to a mr jenkins who was the director at the time and he said no we still have it and i said good i want to be registered and so it was so close to being um gone from nmsu that i almost couldn't register it. and for the first year and a half i wasn't even declared a surveying engineering major until the last year of my bachelor's program wow and that was that was pretty rough you know it was like i had to um fight for it and we had to fight for the program and the students were the few students that were in the program were fighting for instructors because there was only one at the time for the first two years that i was at nmsu it was just kurt dr kurt worm yeah and, I, uh, he was in the program for a while kurt and i've known each other a really long time um we like we we like the fact that our first names start with different letters so people can tell us apart. <laughs> but he, he's a great guy for sure. And then Dr. Lasker, um, did you know that he participated with us in the, the international competition with the Chinese about a year and a half was ago? This um, I didn't, actually. I don't think he was with us a year and a half ago. He was with us about a year ago, I think. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was his predecessor. But I, I know, but I, I really thought that was the same name. In any case, we, we did a, a competition with an NSPS team uh, against a team from China. And uh-huh. it was a very interesting exercise, to say the least. Um, we competed pretty well on the, the field side, not as well on the academic side. Um, not that we did poorly. It's just that they did such overly great. I mean, they just were amazing on that end. Um, but it was it was a great experience for everybody, and hopefully we'll be able to do that kind of thing again. And and I think it's important for us to stay. Maybe current is the right word. Maybe it isn't. But keep up with what's going on in the world, and make sure that we as a profession don't sort of get bogged down and lose sight of what's happening in the world and how it affects our profession. Um, You know, when I started, like I said, in the 60s, and for the longest time, nothing changed at all for years. Now it changes every day almost. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really important for NSPS as an organization and the state societies as well, but for the profession to have young people coming in that are, that are adequately educated and ad- adequately motivated. So I guess sounds like we're going to have to make you our poster child. <laughs> that would, that would be great, Kurt. You know, um, I didn't really know I wanted to teach and I didn't really know about the need for professors until I got into the program and I saw, um, Dr. Worm, um, teaching all the classes, but 
before that, I had been in a GIS program, an associate's program at um, SIPI, which stands for Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they had a really good um, professor for the GIS program, but then him too, you know, he got pulled off to work for the National Forest Service. And again, there was a need. And then that was my initial dream was to go back to um, what we refer to as a TCU, a tribal college university, um, not necessarily run by BAE, but just kind of um, geared towards Native Americans and um, students that are coming from rural areas. And so that was my initial dream. Um, but then when I got to NMSU, it kind of fostered even more into the surveying profession and the need for that. And then, you know, the outreach part, I've always kind of been an advocate for surveying and whatever I can do to meet with young students um, and, you know, kind of just be that role model that they can see more so than just the one that's talking and um, kind of put myself out there as much as possible. So, yeah, I, you know, it, it, it didn't come first shot. I didn't leave my surveying job and say, I'm going to go teach now. You know, I, I, I really just wanted to get my license and, and go back to working. But, you know, now that I see the academic side of stuff and I see the need, you know, I know that's a crucial part of the process for people to become surveyors. Yes, that's absolutely true. And as you as you know, we're still going through some some level of uh, adaptation, I suppose is the right word, in terms of just grasping that whole concept of of what is needed to become a professional surveyor in today's world uh, for many right. years. And, and even still in some places like my home state, one is not required to have a degree really really hard to get licensed if you don't but it isn't required and uh, so we just have so many different ways around the country to approach it and i think it's important for us to to look in areas like you talked about your background and mine was different but economically it probably wasn't very different um and so sometimes we tend to forget that there's a lot of talent out there if we can find ways to help people build on that talent to be part of the profession and i'm, I'm not sure we right. focus enough on that yeah and and i think you know it's just about visibility um same thing you know with uh, native americans and in mainstream society today you know being visible is what really helps people adopt or uh, accept you know what it is and same with um serving you know the more that we're out there and the more that we're in school the more that we're talking to students the more they meet different surveyors instead of just one surveyor all the time you know the more they're going to see that you know this is something that is diverse it can be changing it can grow um and then it also keeps it fresh in their mind you know um i think it's some, it's probably one of the least advertised professions and there's not very much coverage of it in, in anything really, you know, except like, you know, the magazines for surveyors and like, you know, only surveyors have those magazines. You know, I never saw an XYZ magazine outside of my uh, office when I was working 
and um, you know that those kinds of things are what's important for our profession to adopt greater ranges of talent and and like you said you know when you guys competed in the competition you realized that maybe the academic part wasn't there where we wanted it to but it was there you know but you know imagine if um in the future we we pull more people in of a diverse background and that's fulfilled and and we compete on all fronts to the best of our ability because we're accepting and adopting diverse backgrounds that's true actually something you just said gave me a thought and that is when you were talking about sometimes we you have one person in a community who's willing to go and speak to students. And, and that's great when we can make that happen. But if we were able to provide more diversity in all levels, age, gender, ethnicity, whatever, uh, a lot of, of diversity in the people they're seeing and the different things that those people do would be, I think we'd have a better opportunity for the whole concept to resonate with a larger group of people because some people will be attracted to one piece and somebody else might be attracted to some other piece. Um, so, of course, we struggle just to get anybody to go to the schools, but, but it makes a lot of sense if we, if we did have a, a more diverse group of people who were involved in doing that so that people we're trying to reach could see, okay, here's somebody that's, you know, just out of school or, or maybe still in school starting in. And then here's somebody that's got this experience and somebody has this experience just to give them an idea that it's more than just that one person who might come to their school. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I, I seen that model kind of implemented with uh, engineering, you know, um, instead of saying, you know, electrical engineering or mechanical engineering or surveying engineering, um, our director was just going around saying engineering. And then he would present wind tunnels, he would present um, physics, he would present calculus, he would present, um, you know, all the different aspects of engineering rather than just engineering and what people thought it was you know, um, buildings, structure, dirt, you know, all that stuff that kind of tied into what engineering could be for the person. He gave it to them in, in several different aspects. And I always thought that was a cool way of bringing in so many different people. And I saw people who were studying early childhood education. I saw people who were studying vision optics um, get interested in engineering, you know, people that weren't even thinking about it saw one piece of it that just struck them for some reason, for whatever reason, and, and then they were um, attached to it now, you know? And if we can do that with surveying and, and calling it whatever it needs to be called, but, you know, remaining true to, to geomatics, to, to surveying engineering, to the surveying part and the field work and the calculations and the accuracy and precision, you know, um, I think that's something that a lot of, people will gravitate towards and um, show them the different things that we do, you know, show them all the cool stuff that we get to do on a daily basis. You know, uh, I think the thing that people always forget is that some days we can't just be out in the field. It's too cold or like here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, it's too hot. 
you know, it's it's like 108 degrees outside, you know, you, you can't stay out there for too long. You can go out for an hour, sit in the truck, come back, go back out for an hour and come back, you know. But I mean, you better have a few gallons of water, um, you know, things like that. And then one day you might just have to stay in the office and draft or you might have to, you know, type up a report. You know, it might just be a little improvement location report. And then, you know, there's all kinds of different aspects that we can get into. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for me, when I first began, even all the way through my career, one of the things that intrigued me most was the research. Yeah, yeah, see, that too, you know, that too, going into the courthouse, like like I did when I first did it. I went into the courthouse old school days, or my old school days, you know, probably it was kind of new school for you, but we used microfilm, mm-hmm. and I had to uh, <laughs> look through the microfilm um, camera and then find the lot that I needed and make sure it was the the right um, area and then go to the clerk and have her print it out and pay a dollar and you know take my research home and decipher it and you know <laughs> stuff like that that's that's something that you know we forget about all too often the smaller things and I think that's what we need to emphasize yeah, my, my first experience with that kind of research, I did a lot of deed research and pulling things together and, you know, making the puzzle fit with the information. Yeah. But my first experience with mapping as it relates to something in the courthouse, is for you know, of course, they did mapping for tax purposes primarily. But it was just a, an aerial photograph where someone had taken the aerial photograph and a stack of deeds for the properties that fit on that photo and then a, a grease pencil to mark where they thought the boundaries of each of those properties would be based on the roads and the trees and the creek and the fences and all those kind of things. Um, it was a lot different than what you see today, that's for sure. Yeah, holy moly. But even that yeah. was a was a big advantage over what we had before. Oh, yeah, I bet. So it's just, I guess, pointing out that it's a never-ending cycle in terms of, maybe not cycle, a never-ending journey, maybe is a better term, um, with regard to what we do, how we do it, what tools are available to us, and why it's important to really understand how to use all those tools. Mm-hmm. And that's something you're getting the advantage of, that someone who perhaps goes to work without going to, to the school could maybe eventually get to that stage, but it would take a lot longer period of time just through the the learning process without having any study associated with it. Right. And, and, and that's the thing that people can also gravitate towards is that, yeah, we got to be diverse and we may be asked to do one thing or the other from time to time. But at the same time, I've seen positions where all they do is draft. Mm-hmm. They love to draft. They, they want to just draft or they're just in the field. They want to do field work and they want to be a field chief, field crew chief, and they just want to collect the data, you know, and they're good at it. They know how to offload it. They know how to write their notes. They know how to um, translate that and communicate that to the drafter, you know, stuff like that. Those are things that are, that you can be specialized in and you can just do those things too, if you want to, you know, absolutely. That opportunity certainly does exist. There no question Mm -hmm. about that. And as you and I both know, having people who are proficient at doing those, whatever those tasks are, any one of those tasks is, it's essential. It's not just a, uh, a bonus. It's essential. Right. 
So from the perspective, yep. speaking of those types of activities that are still important, um, in the programs you've been involved in, do they, do they provide background for though that level of activity, even though it's not, not something that's going to uh, necessarily be on your mind from a, a licensing perspective or, or not. And the reason I ask that question is I know how difficult it is to get all of the educational components in, in a reasonable amount of time. And I was just curious if those, those more me mechanics pieces, I guess I can call them, are, are they still included in, in the educational cycle as well? Or are they just sort of assumed to be, uh, obtained by osmosis after you get to where you're going? <laughs> um, no, no, um, definitely not by os osmosis. But um, if you're referring to like the, the kind of the technical skills yes. side of our profession, yep. um, yes, both programs that I was in um, at Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute and at NMSU so far, they both had classes that were geared towards fieldwork, performing fieldwork with notebooks with notes with um kind of taking out uh levels doing rod levels doing um triangulation and uh you know they they were really good at showing you the equipment at like the basis of the equipment but not showing you a specific piece so like not just focusing on uh uh edm or not just focusing on a rod level or you know they 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 tried to show you the whole deal they tried to show you what it used to look like and then they brought out the gps great and then showed you what we kind of do today especially if the conditions permit you to use a gps you know then um then this is what you'd probably be using more so today um but it's still you still had to kind of like take notes about the gps and and what what the day looked like you know all the stuff that goes into the cover page drawing a little map, um, making sure that your points correlated neatly into something that a drafter could draw without having actually gone out to the site. You know, things like that, they're, they're pretty good at that. Um, and I think they're also good at the technical or the academic side about showing you the calculations behind it, showing you what the satellites are doing, showing you how the laser gets so accurate and um, performing, um, I guess, what, well, I remember them to be called baseline um, measurements and mm -hmm. um, you know calculating the error inside the instrument you know things like that it was really good at that and especially at NMSU I think that was where I had the most fun let's just say you know yeah. doing those kinds of classes because we got outside you know we got to get out of the classroom it was a change of pace I was taking classes that were just in a standard um, classroom and then I'd get to go into the field and you know get some sun or you know walk in the dirt and take a hike and um, so they were, they were pretty good at that. And I'm glad that they were because there were students in there that didn't have my experience or background. And they were like blown away that they were going to actually be outside in, in a career they chose. They were like, wow, I get to go outside. And I thought it was just behind a desk or, you know, it was going to be all um, computer driven. And, you know, so they were pleasantly surprised, some of them. And then some of them too had some experience in the field, but not so with what we were doing and so it gave them an extra hands up so those things are important for them to see absolutely uh, you mentioning those mm -hmm. things brings back a lot of 
really long old memories <laughs> from starting out in, in surveying back in the day. That's for sure. Not too long. <laughs> Actually, one of the, for me, one of the most fun, if fun is the right word to use, student competition mm -hmm. activities was a two or three years ago in Las Vegas where the teams all went out into the desert and had very old equipment and they had a point in the middle of what they were supposed to lay out as an acre track and then do a topographic survey and draw draw the map. That, I, I really enjoyed that one from the perspective of watching them do the work as well as looking at the results. It was it was a great, great exercise, I think, and I believe they all enjoyed it. Yep, I remember that. I remember uh, I actually had a couple of um, classmates that were on that team and um, they they were telling me some of the tactics that Dr. Worm had given to them mm -hmm. to, uh, to help them along. And they were talking to me about how they did it and um, that the field work wasn't so hard, but it was it was the next part for some of them was having to kind of create a presentation after the field work. Right. And um, but yeah, for most of them, I think they all enjoyed that that part of that competition. They were like, this was so fun. We got to go out, you know, Las Vegas desert. We didn't even know kind of where we were, but we did this project and it, it, it really built some confidence in some of them. You know, I, I seen how, how confident they were to complete a survey and, and do it as best as their ability, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Well, looking at your, your path that you're on, uh, going toward, uh, getting the degrees, being an instructor, those kind of things. Part of that, as you well know, is the recruitment side. I, I was just curious about your thoughts on, for lack of a better word, tactics or, or what approach we might, might pursue that could potentially have better results than than what we have today and getting young people involved. I, I really liked what you said about um, you were talking about the the engineers who would go out and show project prospective students all these different things. Um, but mm -hmm. I, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on when it comes times to recruit. What are your what's your perspective on where where we might want to go with that and how to do it right you know and i one of my tactics that i've always kind of used is to show them the coolest things first you know um wow them kind of get them interested and then slowly get them into the academic the technical side the math you know because already if they know they're looking at something that's engineering based they know there's going to be math like um students and individuals aren't stupid. They're going to see it right away and, you know, they know it's going to come. So show them what's, what like the end product is and then show them how to get there. I think is a good way to bring in new students and younger students is um, we have 3D models. We use 3D scanning, show them 3D scans of cool objects or, or cool projects that we've done, canals, tunnels, um, bridges I think are really cool to see because they're sort of um, below the surface on which we like travel but they're not necessarily below the earth so we can see the structure under it and I think that's something to see in a 3D model in a computer program it really brings their their mind around how advanced we can make the field and I think that's something for them to look into the future with 
um, they see it as futuristic. They see it as this is going to move forward somehow. And I need, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the future. And I think that's something that brings in new students is, is that um, hope to be a part of something in the future, you know, because they know they got to work for it. They know that it's going to take time, but if they see sort of like the end result being more than just um, producing and stamping maps, which is part of the job. Yeah. And that's something we're going to um, show them and then show them what those 3D scans go to. But, you know, if we can draw them in with like the cool things that we do, because we do do those things, you know, um, I know uh, David Acosta uses um, GPR and I've seen some of his 3D maps with GPR for utilities and man, that blew me away. And it was, it was really interesting. And I, I know we showed some students those images on a computer projector in class and they were just all blown away. They were like, wow, that's so cool. We can see what's below our feet. You know, even though we can't really dig it up, they saw the whole structure of the pipes, the gas pipes, the electrical conduit, and they saw where it was going, where it stubs out, why it stubs out. And, you know, those things are the technical aspects, but showing them that image and, and showing them stuff that I guess is a little futuristic for some of us because, you know, I never realized that we could do that. But, you know, me seeing it, I was like, man, that's freaking cool. I'm glad I'm where I'm at. I'm glad I'm in this profession. And, you know, it made me appreciate where we're going. Um, I think that's one main thing to to kind of like shock and awe in a way. It's kind of an old tactic, I think. But, you know, it, it really does shock people when you show them something like that. Now, as far as pulling in, you know, younger students, I think we just got to get out there. I think we got to formulate teams to um, go to schools, maybe high school, maybe even middle school. But, you know, show them what we do, not necessarily hand them a brochure to the program and say, this is where you can go. But, you know, maybe say this is what school we're at or, you know, show them um, a drone flying around and show them the product from the drone, you know, and have the drone do something that um, we do on a daily basis but seems so out of what they're used to seeing done with a drone and, and things like that I think are really ways to um, touch base with students because they're this is their norm their normal is computers and controllers and remote controls and and tv screens you know that's not the norm of my day or um, your day but you know that's their norm you know speakers and electronics, you know, is something they're attached to every day. They probably interact with it more than we know. And um, that's always one way to kind of bring in that younger crowd is to kind of figure out what they're doing every day and then show how that what they're doing every day is something that they can turn into a profession. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and the one thing you said that really struck home was the concept of, of an ever an ever-changing environment that you work in. Mm -hmm. Uh, the challenges change, the methods change, the results are going to be displayed differently. You're going to have new tools. So it's one of those things that who knows where we'll end up with this, but I think it'll just continue to be ever changing and, and challenging. So, and, and that I think would be attractive to a lot of people. Yep. Yes, it would. Um, and then, you know, at the conferences, having these diversity meetings or maybe having a class um, for the conferences for the like the New Mexico professional surveyors, you know, if they decided to 
include a diversity meeting and then letting the um, the surveying community in New Mexico or whatever state, you know, I'm just using New Mexico as an example, letting them know what diversity looks like and how to drive that and um, how to bring in young people for projects, how to um, welcome them and, and kind of nurture that um, profession into their mind because that's that's kind of how it worked for me i i came into the profession not wanting to be outside i didn't know the profession i didn't know what i was getting myself into but i swear the first time i touched my prism rod and i went out and stood on a point i instantly felt the appreciation for what it meant in the long run and i just never gave it up so i think that's something that you know at the lower level, at the individual level, that's something that we can start to change is like a more welcoming environment. You know, um, someone comes into the office, you know, and they want to help, let them help, or, you know, show them, uh, have like, uh, have maybe companies do like outreach with schools where they get internships for the summer, you know, things like that. Because they have yeah. to try it and they have to try it somehow. Right. Yeah, I hold. I don't, believe, agree I don't think. That. And, and on the diversity side, mm -hmm. it's not only the diversity in the the kind of things that we're doing, but uh, it it is a profession that, that is open uh, to all diverse groups of people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, it, when I say this, people think I'm belittling the profession, but I'm not. What? But what I was going to say was, anybody can really do this and be excited about it and do it well. Yep. Obviously it takes hard work and schooling and Practice. all the other things that go with yep. it, but it's yep. one of the professions where everybody hopefully feels welcome. And if they don't, then we need to make sure they do. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, Kurt, I think that's the individual reach, you know, at the conferences, maybe including it in the, um agenda so that we talk about it more you know so that we we get it out in the open so that we welcome it so that you know i, I swear if we had that in one of the not in the state conferences and there was someone standing outside the door and they heard us talking about it and saying that we welcome it i mean what if that just drew in a few there i mean you never know the chain reaction it could have and you know the more we talk about it the more we figure it out the more we act on it and i think at an individual level that's where it counts yeah that that makes a lot of sense because I, I as you were talking about that welcoming into to meetings and that kind of thing uh, sometimes it does seem like if even in our meetings people go off into committee meetings or whatever and the doors get closed and there's nobody there saying come on in <laughs> you know we, right right we need the carnival barkers to say come on in here <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a good out, job you know, for me I we're doing a carnival barker so <laughs> well i i don't want to keep you on the line all, all evening i know it's it's getting later in the day and but i really do appreciate you joining me today and sharing your perspectives and this is really important for us as a profession and as an organization to create these types of discussions that are easily shared um, and, and with so many good concepts that come out of them 
to help us perpetuate our profession, which we all say we want to do. So it's just really critical that we pay attention. So I, I appreciate you being with me to help with that. Same here, Kurt. Thank you for having me. I was happy to help. And if there's anything else in the future that you need to reach, reach out to me for, or if, you know, for whatever reason, feel free. We'll certainly do that. I'd love to see you become part of our, our leadership infrastructure when you have the opportunity. I plan to. <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kurt. You have a good weekend. Stay safe. You too. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says Podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.